You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical or theological questions in 10 minutes or less. Today's question is, why do some Christian denominations practice infant baptism while others only practice believer baptism? What do practitioners believe infant baptism does or does not mean or accomplish? Great question. I'm going to reference something. I don't know if we can find it for the show notes or not, but there was a John Ankerberg facilitated debate between R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur on baptism. Hmm. And it was two cassette tapes back when they actually had 60 minutes on each side. So it was 240 minutes. (laughs) And I think it was hosted down at D. James Kennedy's church in uh, Florida many, many years ago. I wore those tapes out and I can't, I think I had to buy like three or four sets because the tape, those long tapes were so thin they would get eaten in the (laughs) tapes. Yeah. But uh, John Ankerberg did a brilliant job. And R.C. Sproul started out with this ambling introduction where he essentially says, if you go back to circumcision, that is what the practice of infant baptism is today. And he said in so many words, mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm going to try and prove it. And wow. everybody in the audience laughed. And it was a reach, but that is a traditional reform view that as circumcision was part of the covenant, yeah. that in the New Testament, the new covenant, if you will, they're going to sort of make this a hybrid bridge They won't like that phrase, but a bridge to say that's what infant baptism is. Now, let's talk about the Bible because I want to talk about passages, not about this interesting approach to say, you know, circumcision is today's infant baptism. Well, and if I've circumcised my sons, then they don't need to be infant baptized. That's right. Right? Right. Well, yeah. And what about girls? Well, I was going to go there. What is what Yeah, because girls were never circumcised. Right. So, so, all right. so Acts 16, 13 is the first time we encounter this phrase that some of my dear friends who are more reformed on this matter, they may not call me their friend, but I still love them. There's two passages in Acts in particular. And this one says, this is when they're in jail, the jailer's converted. And so anyway... Let me just read the passage. It says, um, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. They took him that very hour of the night, washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized and all his household. Now, interestingly, in the Greek text, that second household doesn't occur. But the point is, they appeal to that saying, see, everybody was baptized. Well, let's give them a little bit more benefit of the doubt. If we go to Acts 18, verse 8, we read the similar language. And this is Crispus, who is a synagogue leader. And it says, he believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. So, Those passages suggest that everybody in the house was baptized. Well, it doesn't say anything about infants. The household could be a compound that includes slaves. It included anybody in that compound. It could be obviously families. Would they have been baptized if they didn't believe? The text says, believed in the Lord with all his Household. household. 
all were believing. So more, let's say, evangelicals, and we've talked about this in, in recent broadcasts, that evangelicalism is a term that unfortunately has fallen on hard times. I still argue it's a valid term to use. It's the word gospel, euangelion. We bring in evangelical. But the point being, those who would hold to an evangelical view talk about believer's baptism. So when you march through Acts, which keep in mind, it's a book of transition. Yep. Law to grace, Judah Gentile, nation to kingdom, nation to world, on and on it goes. There's all these transitions. One of the transition themes is to look at the times baptism occurs. And with one exception, it occurs after they come to Christ. And the one exception has to do with John's disciples, which is non sequitur to this discussion. But let me go back to Matthew chapter 3, and this will be the final one, and then you can interrupt me or whatever you need to do. (laughs) (laughs) But this is Jesus' baptism. Now, understand John the Baptist is different. He's the transition from the old to the new. He's the last Old Testament prophet, the first New Testament prophet. And he has an announcing job, and he's outside the city, and you've been there, Hannah. When you're in the southern steps of the city, there are countless mikvahs, transliterated M-I-K-V-A-H or similar, mikvah, which was a ritual bath, seven steps down, seven steps up, sometimes the same steps. Only the men stripped down to their ephod, and they went down the mikvah and came back up, and then they were allowed to go up into the temple complex. So they were familiar with this ritual washing. John the Baptist is outside the city, and he's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, and many are coming out to be baptized. And he says, I baptize for repentance. Yep. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not fit to remove his sandal. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. So he's making a juxtaposition. I'm baptizing for repentance. What are they repenting from? They're morally disconnected from their Judaism. They're not pious Jews. They're not following the law. In a way, he's saying, get ready because your Messiah is coming. And when he comes, things are going to be very different. Now, he comes. Chapter 3 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus arrived from Galilee at Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him, Matthew writes, verse 13. John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus answered and said to him, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened, and he, and the he there, I think, is referring to John. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him, on Jesus. And listen, behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. Three things happening in the baptism of Christ. First of all, he's underwater. Secondly, the heavens open up, and the Spirit of God descends as a dove. The Methodist Church has for decades had a stylistic dove descending on a cross in various iterations. Descending as a dove is a beautiful picture. It doesn't mean a bird landing on his head. It means the Spirit somehow came down the way a dove would light to the earth. And in my Steven Spielberg imagination, I'm thinking of a human 
dimension, about, about the size of Jesus, if you were, coming down that was visible because he says he saw the Spirit of God, not a bird on his head, but descending like a bird and lighting on him. And then third, the voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What's happening is a Trinitarian identification. This is the Father speaking, the Son being baptized, the Spirit descending. John has witnessed this. This fulfills John's role. So baptism here, Jesus isn't talking about infant or adult. Jesus is talking about identification. So I always tell people, write the word identification in your Bible when you read Jesus' baptism. If that's correct, as you go through the record of Acts, you're going to see I'm going to identify myself as a follower of Jesus Christ by being baptized, which is why we say you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because Jesus was. So I'm following in Christ's baptism as a believer. So I'm not mad at people that hold to infant baptism. I was baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church. I don't remember it, but they tell me I was, and I think there's a picture. I don't think that's the same baptism as circumcision or somehow holding a person's place and they're under the parent's faith and somehow there's a transfer of grace and accountability until they get to the age of accountability, then they have to be baptized and then they're on their own. That's a very contrived and very old way of looking at it. I don't think that's what the scripture is teaching. It's very hard to build that argument from the passages. Mm. But if I wanted to baptize my infant saying like, this is us saying we are placing this child in the body of Christ as part of God's family. We're raising him in the faith. Do you feel that's different than a dedication ceremony? There's no water. There's no sprinkling. <laughs> well, you're not placing him in the family of God because he or she isn't in the family of God until they trust Christ. Which is why the evangelical Protestant churches in large segments have a child dedication. Yeah. And they will appeal to David's language when his first son dies. They'll appeal to Samuel, which is a little bit of a herring because Samuel was basically, you know, Hannah said, I'll give him to you yeah. uh, at yeah. the temple complex. So that's a little different type of jettification. And that'd be like saying my son's going to be a doctor, period, or he's going to be a pastor, period, you know, and, and there's no choice in a matter of that type. I'm going to give this child to this right, 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 right. Uh, temple service. That being said... I understand the sentiment, and I understand, listen, I grew up around the sacraments. I grew up around all this ritual. There's a beautiful vestry where I grew up where you walk in and you see this, I mean, today, tens of thousands of dollars infant baptistry thing in the nave or whatever you call it, where it was a statement, this is how you come into the church. You're born and you come in through baptism. A lot of design behind that. It doesn't mean biblically it's right. You know, the people in Acts trusted Christ and they followed in obedience the famous eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch. You know, he's reading Isaiah. (laughs) That's a crazy story. And the apostle appears and explains it to him. And he goes, what stops me from being baptized right now? I still want to know what passage they were reading in Isaiah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and how they got from there to baptism. Yeah. Be that yeah. as it may, he understood, he believed in Christ, and he wanted to follow in obedience. Yeah. So what we say is trusting Christ 
generally speaking, is a point in time when you believe, you trust, you put your faith in Christ. Believer's baptism is the response at some point later where you say, oh, I want to follow in obedience and be identified, and then the Great Commission, baptizing them. Yeah. Well, and, and the first part, go make disciples and baptize them. So to, you know. An infant, an infant isn't a disciple. Is not a disciple. Yep, yep. Okay, we're way over time, but I, one last thing. Really, what I just heard you kind of say was even the baby dedication or children dedication, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's also not really biblical. It's just kind of something we've made up to like feel good. You're not wrong. I mean, there's a sentimentality to it because we're concerned about our children. Now, the one thing I will say, if it's done well, is you're putting a family in front of the church and saying, yeah. will you pray for Hannah and Tyler? If yeah. They'll raise these yeah. three children and that they'll come to Christ early. And that's a wonderful thing for the body of Christ to pray. Yes. It's for the family. And it can be a very meaningful moment for the parents of us saying, hey, we are publicly saying Boom. we are going to raise these children yep. in the faith. We are going to teach them you know, the glory of God, all that we know and understand of his word. Yes. Yeah. And that is wonderful and meaningful, but also not necessarily. There's nothing in the text that tells us we should have a child dedication ceremony in local churches. Um, and, and, okay. I never dedicated any of my children. So God, God, God we uh, <laughs> clear that up. We're all, we're okay. Well, if you've got a question for Dr. E, call us, text us. The info is in the show notes. Ask Dr. E is part of the Michael Easley in Context Ministry. You can find more shows and biblical resources at michaelincontext.com. Ask Dr. E is produced by me, Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Jason Germain.